Hi everybody, Jeff Cooper here from Classic Christian Rock Radio, and it's the Time Machine Show once again. Today we have a wonderful guest, Randy Thomas. Randy, how are you doing today? I'm, well, actually having a little back pain, so Mm. if I suddenly, you know, if I suddenly stop answering, it's because I gave into back pain. But other than that, uh, life is wonderful, and God is good, and uh, God's grace is, is all over me, so um, I'm happy to be talking to you, Jeff. Oh, awesome, and we're sure going through some awesome times these right now. Not awesome, awful, some awful times, but God is good, and he'll see us through this. Um, tell us about your upbringings and uh, how you started in music. Oh, I was... Uh, uh, a kid of the middle 50s where um, I look back on how my parents were from Arkansas and uh, no offense to those who live in Arkansas but I was happy that my parents went from there to California Mm -hmm. and uh, so Mm -hmm. as a kid you know I was just a California kid and then uh, they moved from central to southern California Mm -hmm. in this little town called Rialto so um, it turned out that Rialto was a town where there was a there was a band on rock and roll bands on nearly every corner, especially <laughs> after uh, mm. you know 1964. The Beatles came out, and yeah. everybody wanted to start a band and be in a band. And um, and we had a real hotbed there. It's called the Inland Empire, uh, where there you have San Bernardino that's in the song. Uh, get your kicks on Route 66, right? And uh, and to us, you know, uh, it was football. It was uh, Foothill Boulevard was the street that was about two blocks from my house, and that was Route 66. But uh, San Bernardino and Riverside and all that area where I grew up, there was just lots of musicians, and so I'm so glad that my dad, being a band director, decided to move there, and that was uh, the town that I grew up in. That's wonderful. So you had the encouragement of parents rather than, what are you doing playing that noisy thing, right? Well, yes, it was sort of, it, it was somewhat passive as far yeah. as uh, my dad mm-hmm. could help me. I played trombone and I played the baritone mm-hmm. horn in marching band. And, uh, you know, but that's kind of unromantic compared to playing guitar. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> when I took up guitar I think it was somewhere around you know the age of 13 and but when I got to be 16 and 17 years old um, I I made the correct decision you know where I I got to be uh, pretty proficient on the trombone and Mm -hmm. I was getting to be you know passable on guitar and started playing dance bands Ah. And I think the decision that I made to stick with the guitar was probably a good move for me. Mm-hmm. I would say. So what are some of your musical influence? You mentioned the Beatles, of course, early bands that you've uh, listened to and grew up playing. What, what were your cover bands like? Uh, we started with the band Cream, which had Eric Clapton on guitar. Uh-huh. And we... Uh, and we would try unsuccessfully to do some <laughs> Hendrix, you know. Yeah. Uh, one of the early bands I was in, I hesitate to mention Creedence Clearwater Revival because uh, a, a lot of the Creedence songs were so 
country, country simple mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, that was easy for a garage band to do, but I was sort of embarrassed of it. Yeah. And, uh, but anything that, that, uh, you know, the music that was coming out in 67, 68, 69, you know, the music right in that period was so great. And it was just beginning to get into Chicago and jazz fusing with rock and roll mm -hmm. that, uh, I had a lot of blues influences, a lot of, uh, you know, jazz meets rock influences, so that later, um, you know, when it started to be the thing that I did as a calling and a career and a ministry, it turns out that all, all those wonderful influences from the late 60s really came in handy because, you know, in the 70s, we were, you're trying to create the next wave of, of where's music going now? Mm -hmm. And, uh, to try to be on the cutting edge of, of you know what was going to happen next, it really served us well that uh, we had all of these great influences that yeah. to build upon. Yeah. So were you able to use your uh, influence, your I guess background with uh, the horn sections yourself? Did you direct any horn sections in the band on recordings, or it just was your interest? Well, that was not there from the beginning <laughs> when. No. Uh, you know, going back to uh, one of the first bands I was in was the band Sunrise. And right. the, now we had, you know, this little dance band in, and we we kind of bopped around San Bernardino, California. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Sunrise was sort of, a, you know, an up-and-coming, you know, dance band where we would play high school dances and we would yeah. play proms. Yeah. And, uh, and we discovered there was a nice, clean little market there for... Um, playing the high school dances mm -hmm. and uh but uh one by one each of us in the band became a christian and yeah. then wow uh we changed the band to sunrise with an o s-o-n right and uh it was really sort of a marketing nightmare as far as oh. then we started playing original music uh-huh uh and uh and we were writing our own music and so you know, when you have a Christian band playing their own music, mm -hmm. um, who wants to hear that? You don't right. want that at your dance. No, you don't. You, know? you want it. Can you play me some Chicago, right? Or some Beatles or whatever. We're, yes. You did one album, right, with Sunrise? Uh, no. No, you didn't. Okay, there must have been Sunrise another another band with the same name later on. I'm just trying to remember the um, an album I saw with that name on it somewhere. Oh, you could probably, <clears throat> yeah, you can find a band called Sunrise. It's probably a hundred thousands. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Spelt all and different ways. That was not us. No. We were, um, <clears throat> uh, it was important that we didn't make a record. Okay. Because uh, uh, I was just speaking with the drummer, Steve Latin Nation, mm -hmm. and uh, he had said the interesting thing about the band Allies, uh, what is the cliche where they say the... Uh, the sum is greater than the parts. Right. And he said in that band, the parts were always greater than the sum. Really? Um, where each of us went on to have a great career in music, mm -hmm. but um, for some reason, that band, um, the tapes that we have that survive, we were just horrible. So it sounded like, it sounded <laughs> like an all-star team in sports where there's all these great players, but they can't play together. There's no, it, it was no something chemistry. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now yeah. we did 
cooperate and we did try to play together together yeah. but there is <laughs> yeah but there is a time in your your career you know where you're where you're learning the ropes yeah and we were we were just learning so much about how to play and how mm -hmm. to write songs that the end results were were just very uncomfortable yeah so that's why I'd say that you know Sunrise was the band that really needed to not make a record. Oh, that's good. <laughs> good thing they didn't. Uh, how did you become a Christian then? Like you say, the band one by one was it uh, something together or just seemed to be separately? We all became Christians, and I think looking back, I would call yeah. it a domino effect. Okay. Where, uh, meanwhile, uh, we had Michael Hodge on guitar. He mm -hmm. became a Christian. Mm -hmm. We had. Uh, Sam Scott, yes, uh, on keyboards was already a Christian. Yeah, um, but uh, in the case of the drummer and myself, uh, he went to a Wednesday night Bible study and became a Christian. Mm -hmm. This is embarrassing to say, but we <laughs> had we had some kind of a a corporate band drug deal that was going on where yeah. all, all the band had pitched in money and we were going to buy marijuana. Yeah, okay. mm -hmm. and uh, and so this was a new thing to me. But you know, the drummer Steve came back to me and he said, "Here's your money back. I can't do it." Really? And he said that uh, you know, between the time that he took everybody's money, uh, and he then he met with the drug dealer. The drug dealer was a preacher's kid who started oh. quoting scripture, and. And he had like this out of body experience where he said, "I can't do this. I have to go back to serving God." Wow! And <laughs> and then Steve, watching that, became a Christian and yeah. went to a Wednesday night Bible study. Mm -hmm. And uh, then he comes and tells me about it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, well, I ask him. I said, "What? So what happened to you?" And he, <laughs> uh, mainly because he his his demeanor and his language had changed. And I yeah. said, what happened to you? Yeah. And he talked about uh, asking Jesus into his life. So I said, can I? Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, well, I guess so. Yeah. And uh, he gave me good advice. He said, well, the all I know is you you confess your sin, and yeah. then, you know, you ask Jesus. And, mm -hmm. you know, he only knew the wording of ask yeah. Jesus into your life. Yeah. So I did that and went to a Wednesday night Bible study, and uh, and it was the beginning of my meetings with uh, the Jesus Freaks of the yep. early 1970s. Yep. And on a back porch in Rialto, California, there were, was a group of people just singing songs, and, mm -hmm. and they asked me, have you ever received Jesus, you know? And I yeah. said, yeah, I've been trying for three nights in a row. <laughs> and... That was the first time someone showed me the promises, you yeah. know, and to as many as received him, mm -hmm. to them he gave the power to become sons of God. And it was a real switcheroo to uh, to have, you know, uh, yeah. when you're waiting for a religious experience, yeah. to start a relationship based upon the promises of God. Yeah. It was a good start. That's great, yeah. It says, you were telling me in your byline, it wasn't easy as a young Christian at college. Why not? What what uh, what was so difficult? I don't know if if I have exaggerated my troubles. You know, now that I'm sure not. I went through it too. <laughs> I know what I know what you're talking. I know what, you're, what, what it was like. It was it was pretty hard. But yeah, uh, yeah. It, when I would when I would go to high school, there was just this sense um, 
you know, I would talk to friends, and they would find out I was a Christian, and yeah. they, it is funny how people suddenly become nervous around you. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, we, well, we can't, we can't talk about drugs or sex or rock and roll now. Tell He's dirty jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, um, <laughs> uh, the the rub was I was still into rock and roll, but we'll get back to that. Yeah, um, you know, but it, it's interesting how in high school I could tell that there was this uncomfortableness, and then when I would leave a room, they would say, you know, well, poor Randy, he's a Jesus freak now. <laughs> oh, poor Randy. And yeah. So yeah, you know, it's ironic that I had n- now had the righteousness of Christ and the Mm -hmm. guarantee of eternal life and Mm -hmm. people were feeling sorry for me that I'd fallen in with a bad crowd. Oh boy. So, (laughs) but to answer your question in, in college, that's where, um, I was really shocked that I had a couple of professors that really had no business singling me out and, uh, questioning me and and making an example of me and belittling me in front of the class. Yeah, but that that's what happened. Yeah. And I wound up. Uh, I I think there's two things going on. I think I have issues with, um, you know, uh, there. Most people when they go to college, they have a clear vision of what they want to do and what mm-hmm. they want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And so. There are also a lot of people like me that you go to college and you don't know exactly what you're doing. You're just going to college because someone said that's what you do. So I have that problem. But when you add on to my confusion, just uh, really, you know, being belittled by professors uh, and being made, you know, they, they would, when we would have a lecture, they would just, uh, we would be speaking of English, and they would mm-hmm. find a way to figure out how to how to turn that into. Well, let's talk about the Bible. Oh boy! I, wait, I thought we were just talking about conjugated verbs. Mm-hmm. And then they would ask me a question and belittle me in front of the class. So it was yeah. obvious to me that there were there was an agenda of the college professors. Mm-hmm. It almost it's almost as if they huddle up before class yeah, yeah. and say. Let's go find the Christians and get rid of them. Yeah, yeah. I always, so I left. yeah, I always found that they tried to see how much you really knew about the Bible, for example, because they expect a Christian should know it, and that's where they try to fumble you up, right? Because they explain you're the expert. You tell us, and you didn't have all the answers, especially as a young Christian. That's exactly right, and uh, yes, and I can remember uh, what. Uh, many of the questions they asked of me and many of the things that they said to me were were wrong. And, of course, I could go back now and I can handle it. But yes, at the time, yeah, yeah. You know, when you're just able to shut someone down and make them look stupid, uh, <laughs> that was their goal. Yeah. So <clears throat> tell us, take us to uh, Maranatha uh, Music and Calvary Chapel days. What was the leading to that? Is that kind of tied in with all this, or is there that a separate... Uh, thing altogether no that ties in well because mm-hmm. uh, it was around this time we heard these stories of uh, you know there's just thousands of hippies all yeah. getting together and being baptized in the ocean yeah and uh, so our 
our Wednesday night group, we went down and met um, a guy named Tom Stipe, mm-hmm. and uh, he was often doing the Saturday night concerts there. Uh-huh. And uh, I often went down on uh, with friends. We went down on Saturday night to watch uh, at Calvary Chapel. There was just thousands of us that would meet in a tent and have you know, a Jesus concert, and Mm -hmm. that was a big turning point because um, the band Sunrise, at that time, we would go watch these Maranatha bands, and they were were playing original music, and the, the important thing is that it was original. They were playing, inventing music, and that was that was the big thing that hit me up beside the the head where I turned to the other guys in the band and I mm-hmm. said, "You know this is what we need to do yeah uh, but now the downside of it if if you know uh you'll excuse me for mm-hmm. being a little bit critical, but um the downside of it is it was also such mellow country music, yeah, yes, yeah, and that's where I think you'll find that later you know when i was involved with brian yeah uh, duncan and uh you know later the music that we did we were considered the the strange rebels who yeah. didn't we didn't know the rules that yeah. you had to play mellow country music yeah he mentioned that to us as well same yeah yeah so it was uh it was revolutionary to go um hmm. you, you're watching sort of a homespun concert yeah but they they have you know, they had wonderful PA systems. I have these great memories of they were great sounding concerts. Yeah. And even if a girl just came up playing acoustic guitar, you know, it, it was it was good and loud and it yeah. was really professionally done. And then at the end of every concert they would say, Okay, who wants to accept Jesus? Mm-hmm. And you would see, you know, dozens or possibly hundreds of people come to Christ at every concert. And, you know, that's where watching that my buddies from San Bernardino and myself said, we, you know, we want to do some of this. Mm -hmm. And we definitely took that home with us. Yeah. So, um, was that where Psalm 150 came around that time? Yes. Boy, you're, uh, that's. I'm just following uh, my notes from you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, you're timing it really well because. (laughs) That's why that helps so much. Thanks so much, Randy, for your helping me with my (laughs) homework here. (laughs) Well, now as we as as we're putting in a in a timeline, I think you can see that there was sort of this interesting confusion where Mm -hmm. I would I would watch the Maranatha bands and they had this certain this really mellow style. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it Crosby, really Stills, and Nash kind of folky, Joan, yeah. Baez, Joan Baez kind of sound of the folk uh, folk rock, I guess. Yeah, and and I love some of that stuff. Me too. Yeah, but there was a band called Psalm One Fifty, and uh, the the leader who you have met and interviewed yes. was Greg Eckler. Yes, and Greg uh, was an incredible force just to mm-hmm. watch the band play yeah. but greg would preach mm-hmm. and some sometimes he played percussion sometimes he played uh drums he played guitar as well yeah some sometimes he played trumpet and so he was just this musical and spiritual force yeah. unlike anything i'd ever seen yeah and it's important to mention just for uh one of the major guys in the band uh who's playing guitar for him and has 
also played bass with uh, Psalm 150 was James Felix. Yes, yeah. And James later went on to play with Andre and, yep. and do his own record. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and then an, another notable, although a short-lived member, mm -hmm. was Jack Blades was uh, one of the early guys, and he later went on to uh, Night Ranger, right? And uh, and played with Greg and Rubicon mm -hmm. and and did a band with Ted Nugent called Damn Yankees. Oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> with him, yeah. 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 So uh, <laughs> we, we were all uh, <clears throat> musically... Uh, it, what was really interesting about Jack is back when I knew him, yeah. uh, he just played bass. And right. later when I saw him with Night Ranger, you know, I almost felt like saying, I didn't know you could sing. Yeah. I didn't know you could write songs. That's you know. something, eh? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of us, when we were kids, we only did, you know, we were just still learning uh, how to play our instruments. So yeah. it's uh, it's always fun to have some of your uh, your high school and college age friends mm -hmm. that uh, you run into them ten years later yeah. and 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 you see this genius coming out in them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know. Well, you mentioned Greg, too, and the first time I met him, it was with Daryl Mansfield Band, and they were the heavy rockin' version of, like, the they did some heavy metal. It was that good, really hard rock, and I'm going, where is that wonderful harmonies coming from? And then I look up, and it was him on the drums singing as well. I thought, I can't sing and play the drums. I can, but it's not very well. And I thought, man, is this guy talented? And then, of course, I've seen... Uh, video and clips later on and I didn't had no idea he played guitar and all this and and of course great great speaker and um, yes yeah wonderful thing we did have some plans by the way him and I were we were talking and just never got around to it and um, of course he's gone to be with the Lord now but um, we were going to do some kind of uh, podcast talk back and forth because our interview went so well we had so much fun and uh, I regret not getting any of those done, but uh, life got busy. So um, God bless Greg. Yes, love Greg. Yeah. And we'll, we miss him. We love yeah. him. We'll see him again. Yeah, yeah. I was even playing words with friends with him. And uh, yeah. yeah, so um, anyways. Well you, well, you brought up uh, an interesting thing is to see a horn band, which mm -hmm. is what? Yeah, what Greg was doing. Yeah, and and the style of music I that know. Psalm 150 was doing was so ahead of its time. Yes, yeah, because uh, back then we would throw around the word funk, right? You know, right. Where there was a mixture of R and B, there was a mixture of jazz, mm -hmm. there was a mixture of rock and roll. Yeah, and you and you put it in a pot, and it and there it was. And what we would call funk. Yeah, was. Uh, was just there was an energy and a and a rhythmic uh, excitement in yeah. that band that yeah. absolutely rocked my world. Yeah, yeah. And there came a turning point where uh, Sam Scott, who was later an ally as well, mm -hmm. you know, Sam got into Psalm 150 and he said, "Why don't you uh, come play with the band?" And the first time I sat in with Psalm 150, I I had already you know, they were my my dream band. I, yeah, <laughs> uh, it was the band I would I would think I could never be good enough to be in that band. Wow! And when James left, um, I could never fill his shoes. But someone had to play guitar. Yeah, and that's where I first met Bob Carlyle. Yeah, uh, 
Now, I'd met him a little before that, but mm-hmm. uh, when he played with Psalm 150, but yeah. I met Bob, and, uh, and... He was such a young kid then, wasn't he? He was, and uh, he had he had kicked around some Maranatha circles and done some things with yeah. with Keith Green, and, yeah. uh, uh, you know, he had 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 made his way around some Maranatha circles. Yeah. And I somehow had never run into him until uh, the Psalm 150 connection. Mm-hmm. And for a short time, he and I played together, but I kind of continued to be the permanent guitar player with, with the band, mm-hmm. you know, where, where Greg needed someone all the time. And, and yeah. uh, Bob was... Uh, a lot of musicians uh, handle their you know, understanding this is college age guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bob was still kind of playing in a different band every week. You know, he was mm-hmm. hopping from band to band and I didn't know any better. I just, you know, the only thing I knew how to do back then was I would dedicate myself to a band and that was it all yeah. for one and one for all. <laughs> yeah. So for a, a couple <clears throat> of years there, I'm not sure how long of a period, but, uh, it, it might have been actually only a year, played with, with Greg, and it was a musical schooling that I'll just never forget. Yeah. Wow. You guys played in penitentiaries, and uh, a lot of people say, wow, great to have been in a band and do those live gigs and everything. How on earth and why would you play in a penitentiary? Some people would ask. Well, Johnny Cash did it, so I guess that would be one good reason. Um, how did that come about? I think uh, Greg was trying to get us into more and more churches. And then there's, in Southern California, to some degree, you could just go and uh, play. We were involved with uh, Melody Land, Mm -hmm. Hotline Christian Center. and there were certain churches we could go into, but we were sort of outlawed from Calvary Chapels because mm-hmm. we didn't, we weren't mellow enough. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, <laughs> so somehow I think in order to have other things to do, Greg somehow got us into the federal penitentiary system mm-hmm. in California. Wow. And uh, back in the in the you know, this is now 1976. Yeah. Uh, there had been, years earlier, had been this this famous thing called the Manson murders. Right, right. So, yeah. when we were at, uh, uh, which prison was it? It was one of the famous prisons. Mm-hmm. Um, San Quentin or something like that. It might have been San Quentin. Yeah. That I asked... A guard, I said, um, now, you know, wh- where's where's Charles Manson? Yeah. And and he said, you want to see Charles Manson? Come here. Oh, no. And uh, and he took me out, and he, sh- and he showed me a building. He said, you see that building there? Well, inside that is another building, mm-hmm. and inside that is another building, and then inside that, at the middle of that building, is a cell where Charles Manson is, and he'll never see the light of day again. Wow, eh? And so that was his joking way of saying, you want to see Manson? There he is. You know, that's as close as you're going to get. Yeah. Hmm. Now, uh, ironically, we went to uh, California Men's Colony. This Mm -hmm. is San Luis Obispo. Yeah. And uh, 
those who know the Manson story, the the man who uh, actually, you know, uh, wielded the knife and pulled the trigger was Tex Watson. Yeah. Um, and uh, so pretend you don't know that, but uh, right. I have... I've told this story in a lot of churches where mm -hmm. uh, when I went in with Psalm 150, the, we did a Saturday night concert, and in those days uh, it was required by law for everyone to smoke. And so um, everyone was smoking in the room. I'm, I'm kidding about that. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so we're doing this concert, yeah, and, yeah. You know, and it's just for whatever it was, <clears throat> you know, 800 inmates. And and it was real wild and but I I must have been behind on sleep or something and I was kind of mm -hmm. cranky and yeah there was this uh, one of the prisoners there was named Charlie and he was the like a pastor to all the prisoners who were Christians yeah and he was so sweet and so helpful that we came in the following morning to do a chapel service yeah and coming in the following morning. Uh, there was Charlie again, and he was pastoring all the guys, and and so I took a moment, and, and I sat down with him, and I said, Charlie, I I want to tell you that, you know, I'm really convicted by what a loving, great example of a Christian you are, and last night I was kind of grumpy, and would you forgive me for for being Mr. Grumpy Pants, mm -hmm. and uh, hmm. and and Charlie, you know, looked at me, and he said, well, sure, you know, I forgive you, and and here I was just telling this guy how I admired his, what an example he was as a Christian, especially being yeah, in prison. Absolutely. And someone came up and said, uh, hey, Tex, where do, you, where do you want us to put these chairs? And I looked at him, I said, I thought your name was Charlie. And I noticed the laundry mark on his shirt said Watson. Ooh. And th that's where I suddenly stopped and said, you're Tex Watson? Wow, eh? And and he said uh, yes, hmm. and that started a whole new conversation where you know he he had become a, a Christian while in prison yeah. because of uh, because of a mother praying for him and mm -hmm. and uh, you know he, it definitely sobered him up being being put away for life. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. It's really interesting to talk to someone who knows that they've got to pay the civil pen penalty. Mm -hmm. for what they've done. There's a price to be paid, yeah. you know, for what you've done. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, to be forgiven by God. It's amazing. Oh, my, yeah. That's 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 when it's real. I say that a lot. but It gets real, real, it's yeah. It's really real, you know. He has every, every not every right, but every every inclination that he could just be so angry that I would never be a Christian. There's where I am, but that is an awesome story. Uh, power of God for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, beautiful. Okay, so Sweet Comfort Band uh, came about later. Uh, they weren't from uh, Psalm 150, did not become Sweet Comfort Band. Did they, they just disband and break up, or did they go on and then you went on to be with Sweet Comfort Band? It, it sort of uh, it, it died with a quick whimper. Okay. Um, where Bob and Greg started a another band that just played uh, at Balboa Bay Club, mm -hmm. and uh, 
you know, that was an instance where Greg just simply brought one band to an end and started yeah. another. You only had two albums, but only one was released. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So. And well, we we sort of recorded a third one while yeah. I was in the band. Yeah. Uh, but it probably wasn't. You know, it probably needs to not see the light of day. Okay, I was going to say, is there any is there any any proof of it anywhere where we can get a hold of some tracks to play? But I think we'll stick. We have the one album, so we'll stick with it, I guess. For yeah, song one fifty. The uh, the first release record really didn't represent the band, and the second unreleased yeah, record yeah. with Andre. It did. was fantastic and yeah. too far ahead of its time. I can just imagine because right. Andre's band alone was just so awesome with even him singing and playing piano, but his band and I think what half of them were probably from Psalm one fifty. Uh yes. Yeah. So And uh and and an old still, you know, wonderful friends of mine. Yes. Um now then uh well concurrently to probably what sunrise was doing yeah. there was a band in riverside called sweet comfort okay yeah. and and their name really fit in with maranatha yeah sweet comfort yes and they were from calvary chapel of riverside so there was a concert we have a poster somewhere mm -hmm. there was a concert where sunrise psalm 150 and sweet comfort actually played on the same stage together mm. It was at Pacific High School, mm -hmm. and probably somewhere around uh, 1973, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. But uh, so after 1975 was a lot of the time I was in Psalm 150. In 1976, I was looking for something to do. Yeah, and uh, and meanwhile, uh, Sweet Comfort had gone through people kept telling them uh you know it was just piano bass and drums mm -hmm. and people kept saying you sound empty yeah and uh, nagging yeah. them saying you guys are going to be great when you get a guitar player yes <laughs> so they got tired of people nagging them saying you need a guitar player mm -hmm. and uh so i went to audition to play some saturday night uh concert at calvary chapel of riverside mm-hmm and I was just, you know, playing some original songs on acoustic guitar. One of them was probably uh, "I Want to Praise You, Lord," which mm -hmm. I'd written with Sam Scott. Yeah, yeah. and great, uh, great song. Yeah, which thanks to <clears throat> the Maranatha world, you know, yes. that became an, an international praise song everywhere. Yeah, and uh, and was sung in different languages. So that was that was a wonderful new thing that was going on. Yeah, but. Uh, but the bass player with Sweet Comfort said, why don't you come play with the band? And uh, I met with them in a garage, and they started playing their songs, and I suppose I had gotten enough musical acumen by this point that they began playing their songs, and I just played along. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of what, uh, seasoned musicians can do, you know, we take it for granted now, you you know, you can, uh, even here in Fort Myers, you know, it's it's real common for some of us old musicians, we'll yeah. just sit in with somebody else's band and, and, and play, uh, yeah. Yeah, and there's, there's old classic <clears throat> songs that, you know, if, if you, if you've heard the song, you can play it. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, Mustang Sally, hit it, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. uh, 
but there was, you know, as as they start playing their songs, you know, I started to realize, okay, I can figure this out, and I would figure it out along with the band, mm-hmm. and they all looked at me like I was some kind of genius because, you know, mm-hmm. I no, no one needed to write down the chords or show it to me. I just I I learned by playing along. Yeah, and uh, and then. Uh, they had some, uh, the band had some really good vocal harmonies. Well, there was only two of them singing, so, yeah. you know, it also worked out well that I would just, I would find the missing part, and I would mm-hmm. just make up my part. So, right, yeah. Uh, so that led to, um, you know, I just started playing with the band, and uh, I think, uh, you know, they they had done one song on a Maranatha record. They had done a song called Golden Ages. Right on. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, they had put steel guitar, which helped make them sound like, like, like country. They they fit uh, in with the Maranatha sound at the time, right? right? That first song, yes. <laughs> yes. So yeah. I think there was sort of this shared yeah. uh, a vision of not wanting to fit in necessarily with Maranatha right. mellowness. No. But uh, but we all brought such different things to the table because they yeah. knew what I'd done with Psalm 150. Yeah, they they understood the funk factor. Mm-hmm. The bass player, you know, I think really wanted to be canned heat. Yeah, you know, yeah. He he liked boogie music. <laughs> yeah, you know, the drummer would listen to vocal pop, and he wanted mm-hmm. to be Little River Band. Right. And Brian had his, you know, he would. He would listen to Stevie Wonder, yeah, of course, and Elton yeah. John, yeah, and so I think part of what we saw happening was there were so many different influences that you would think it would be a mess, mm-hmm. but uh, but something started to you know it began to be the opposite of Sunrise, where the yeah. the some of the parts turned into something different from any of the individual contributions for sure yeah and uh and we just said you know what we're going to make a record yeah and maranatha really wasn't interested so we uh borrowed money from brian's girlfriend at the time Mm -hmm. and uh and it was eight thousand dollars and we just went and made a record wow and um so we it was the way that Kevin kind of worked. You know, he went to yeah. Maranatha and said, we're doing a record. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you don't want to release it, we'll get somebody else. So they released it. Right. And uh, and we put a record out. And uh, so now, from my point of view, mm-hmm. the first record that was titled Sweet Comfort right. was a good introduction that caused us to be somewhat known up and down the west coast mm-hmm. california oregon washington and uh and so you know it made its splash and it made its inroads where we we had a larger audience and we started traveling more mm-hmm. uh, but there there wasn't so much a sense of being nationwide right so on the second record, uh, that's where you see the horns return and the funk right. returns, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And you'll also see that my influence increased because the first record 
uh, benefited from Brian had been writing songs for a few years. So the mm -hmm. first record was full of songs that he'd written for exactly. years. Exactly, yeah. Now the second record became something where the the drummer and myself, you know, suddenly said, oh, we've got to make another record. Yeah. And so we kind of quickly wrote songs, and I think Brian would tell you, you know, then he felt sort of insecure on the second record where suddenly Rick and I were coming up with a lot of songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we with Bob Wilson we did the second record uh -huh. and you'll you'll notice the subtle change was uh, I don't know if it was whose influence it was but uh, Sweet Comfort that that title by itself sounds so wimpy that yes. we just that it, that we tacked on band so right. then it became Sweet Comfort band yes and with the second record I think there was. There was so much excitement captured on that record mm -hmm. um, that uh, the sophomore cor sophomore curse didn't apply. Good. Yep. You could and, it, you could tell. Yeah. It showed. Yeah. And the second record <clears throat> was as good and better yeah. and uh, more exciting than the first. And you got to sing more too, I think. Is that? What yeah, I sang more. Uh, boy, I miss those days. When you I show up sing. quite a few times on on lead vocal. And then two-part lead, I guess you trade off on some songs, trade off, and then there was some straight, I'll say, I'll say, little river, river band harmony <laughs> on others. Yeah, exactly. So, well, yeah. it's uh, yeah, I have, uh, I've always really struggled with being a lead vocalist because I work best, you know, being in a band with Brian yeah. was wonderful because I think, uh, you know when he would sing 85% of the material, mm -hmm. uh, then, uh, you know, then when, when someone else sings something, it's a, it's a break, yeah, you know, and he exactly. Needed, that's exactly he needed what a little I, break. I would say that cause it's refreshing and you go, Oh, that's, Oh, that's Randy singing that one. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, there's Brian in the background, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's quite good to have him in the background. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, that began to develop where, uh, uh, and Rick had a wonderful studio voice. Yes. Um, he, you know, he was featured on certain songs and, yeah. and still ought to be really glad with vocals that he did as well. Exactly. But, uh, but yeah, what began to develop is, uh, there were times where the three of us sang some great harmonies. Oh and, yeah. Amazing. Uh, and it was great that Brian, uh, you know, was such a great singer. Mm -hmm. There was, uh, so then, you know, we went on to third album, fourth album. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and did a, a total of six records and mm -hmm. the, the band, you know, I, we toured quite a bit up in Canada. Throughout yes, you did. The, yep. Yep. Yeah, throughout the United States, uh, didn't really get that much into other countries, but mm -hmm. we were so busy touring the U.S. and Canada that yeah. uh, we essentially, I think my time with the band added up to about nine years, and wow. for Brian, it was over ten years, so yeah, yeah. Um, we got to a point, uh, uh, I don't know if anyone wants to asked the question of why did the band break well, up? Well, that's what I was going to say. You've just released probably one of the, it is one of the top Christian rock albums of all time. 
perfect timing. Absolute brilliant album. Brian said it's probably the best. It wasn't his favorite, but it was the best album the band had ever done. And then you break up. Yes. I don't know if it's the best record that we did, um, but we, uh, because it took such a different, yeah, uh, it was it was done with Dino and John Elefante. Yeah, that and, could be the implication people would say, you know, well, it, was, it has to be, to me, it's one of my favorite. I like all your albums, so don't get me wrong with that. But it mm-hmm. was an absolute uh, great album. And you would think, I, I call it your Abbey Road because the Beatles and they were done, right? Um, then you went on to be uh, two separate uh, acts altogether. But yeah, sorry, go ahead with the story on what happened. Okay, well, um, you just <clears throat> reminded me that uh, back in the days when we had hardwired telephones, yeah, I think I got home from a tour and I unlock my front door and and I hear the phone ringing, the phone ringing, phone ringing, and uh, and so because I'd just come back from being gone for weeks, and I came in and I picked up the phone, and instead of saying hello, I just said perfect timing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and so that title stuck in my head. Yeah. And as we went to do the what would be the last record, we're working on the record, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of things. Looking back, uh, we didn't know it was going to be the last record, but right. perfect timing makes an makes an interesting last statement. Yeah. So I wrote that song with uh, Dino, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, where I just said, you know, let's let's write a title song, right? And uh, which shows you that we'd become much more professional by that time. Yeah. And uh, but what uh, if people have been in bands for a long period of time? Uh, I think uh, very young bands break up very quickly because of uh, you know, just immaturity and pride and all kinds of strange things. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and it and it happens with professional bands where you just they, you know, some of the best of bands only last four or five years. Well, mm-hmm. you know, um, so here's my philosophy, and <clears throat> I think all the other members would agree, and that is that what made that band strong was that Rick and Kevin would do a lot of the business things. Mm-hmm and push the band and Brian and I would do a lot of the creative things. Yeah. And then what made that band weak was the same thing where, yeah. uh, Brian and I began to be frustrated that we had no say in, you know, you get a phone call saying, you know, we're, we're going to be, uh, leaving on tour, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and you just had no say and well, wait a minute. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, when someone wanted to, uh, uh, like in Brian's case, you know, if you wanted to get married or yeah, yeah. have any kind of life outside the band, your life had to be arranged around the band because right. we had no say in anything. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what broke up the band was uh, Brian and I needed some, uh, you know, what we felt was some well-deserved de- independence and uh, yeah, and control. You know, it was really... yeah. yeah. It was as much as you hate to admit it. It was about control. Yeah. That. Uh, so there was a last farewell tour. Yeah. Where we we just said we're going to um, go out and do last dates and and mm-hmm. 
And that was the first time I'd ever seen that, you know, someone actually sits down and says, you know, hey, there's, uh, you know, back then it was just a new thing to me to have somebody say, we're going to do a farewell tour. Oh, yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. yeah. You know, that could be a problem if you've got, like with the Eagles, you know. Then you do the comeback tour. (laughs) Yeah, you you may have people that want to kill each other on stage together. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, uh so we just had our, our tension, and, and we were actually, yeah. you know, sort of knowing that we're breaking up and doing mm-hmm. a last year tour, and yeah. there's no way around the fact that that's weird. Yeah. Well, if I'm being honest, when it happened, I went, oh, no, this is horrible. Then I heard Allies, and I heard Brian Duncan's solo. I thought, I can get through this. I, I, <laughs> I, seriously, you both had such great uh, careers after it as well. Uh, just one step back there. Um, what is your favorite uh, Sweet Comfort Band album? What is What do you feel is the best album, and what's your favorite one or two songs? I think... Breaking the Ice just yeah. has such a happy sound to Lo- it. Yeah, love that album, too. It it has, uh, you know, I think I'm embarrassed of the lyrics of the song Got to Believe. Oh, okay. But, but you're singing but it, it's, so... <laughs> yeah, but it's it's yeah. just so happy. I know, you know, I know, and it's got that nice... It's, it's, it's funky, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm embarrassed <laughs> with my lead vocal on uh, the title track, Breaking the Ice. So oh, no, it's great. <laughs> you, you probably don't want to play that. What was the other one? Oh, uh, he'll, Mr. Bill, is, he puts the music. He'll probably play that one. But <laughs> Okay. We've played it many times on air. It's a good song. Uh, good Feeling is yeah. another one that, uh, you know, I think at that time we were writing very shallow lyrics. But... Mm. Uh, but it's fun, uh, danceable, fun, and 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 uh, worshipful. I guess is a good word as far as getting you moving and feeling good. Yeah, the the way I still hear it is there is uh, there is so much joy. Yeah, and uh, there's so much, you know, uh, there's just an exuberance there that really got communicated onto the record. Exactly. Exactly. There's something about simple lyrics, though, you know. Um, I'm not going to criticize current music, but a lot of it's got too much too much word, too many wordy uh, worship songs that people are going, what are we actually singing here? And I think good feeling, it's a give your life away, it's a great lyric. It's just so simple, and it says all it needs to say, you know. Yeah, it it's, uh, yeah, we were just young songwriters, so I yeah. think that... Uh, Something there, about there simplicity, a, though. There were some things that we did, especially, I think, uh, Brian did a lot of lyrics to be proud of. And, mm-hmm. Oh, boy, yeah. yeah. And I learned in my friendly competition with Brian, I think that that caused me to, uh, to write, uh, you know, some better lyrics. Yep. But, you know, even uh, Paul McCartney had... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, my love don't bring me presents. I know that she's no peasant. Yeah, come on, right? So yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. was a low point for That's, him. So, my question for you before I get into other things. Well, I was going to ask you how the music industry treated you. It's probably pretty well. Or did you find that CCM tried to control you a lot? Like we hear so many stories, um, try to tell you what they wanted you to do, as opposed to letting you have your own free. Uh, reign with the music and ministry no there was no sense of uh 
control, I don't believe. Yeah, so no record companies said, well, we can't put this out. It's got too much this, and we need you to do that, or... No. No, that's good. No. There was no... I have no memories of someone Probably saying, more, yeah, probably more with solo artists that got that kind of thing, you know. I don't know. They wanted you to write certain ways and, and have a certain people with you in the studio. So maybe as a band, they can't mess with the band. You're the band, and they're not going to put a different guitar player on the album. Yes, I think that there was... Uh, it's probably a pretty universal thing that applies to pop music as well. Yeah. A lot of what we did as artists, you tended to have guys who were in their 40s or 50s or 60s are running labels. Yes. And uh, and I think for the most part, they were smart enough to know that if they gave any musical input... It, it would be really useless. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you have an artist that is, has a, you know, something they want to say in a style mm -hmm. and a way of putting something, it's best to leave them alone. Yeah, I agree. So I was going to ask you too, this, I came up with this last night, trying to think of different things to ask. Um, do you think uh, we got it right? In other words, should there even have been what we called a Christian music industry? Uh, why didn't we just write and perform good songs and let your Christian beliefs come through? Did we need a Christian music industry, or should it just have been a music industry and some Christian lyrics and other? Was it necessary, necessary to even have that? And I'm talking about after the Jesus movement, like when it moved into CCM and became more corporate, I guess? Boy, I'm not a good person to ask uh, you know, as far as the political, you know, the, uh, I would say it was what it was. And I think that the fact that, you know, uh, there was a time when you could name all of the Christian rock bands and you could at least, you know, uh, in the day of Sweet Comfort Band, yeah. there was... You know, there there was Petra, DeGarmon Key, you know, you could, yeah. there was Res Band. Yeah. You could name us, pretty much you could count us on one hand. Right. Um, and, but then, uh, you know, you would have someone say, okay, we're trying to do concerts all across the country. How can we get in touch with one another? So at some point you've got, you know, churches saying, is there some way that we can find a network? Mm -hmm. And then you've got someone saying, I'm going to be a booking agent. And right. he puts together the churches with the artist. And then somebody says, well, if we put a record out, someone's got to promote it. So you've right. got a record company. Mm -hmm. So the a, a cottage industry grew up. And if if there are those who you know, like my my dear friend Steve Camp. Yeah. You know, if if he could talk about all the evils of this industry that grew up, mm -hmm. um, my guess is that when it it grew up out of necessity, and it was probably a wonderful thing. It was a great community, and so what you've got to watch for that probably did happen is any any entity is going to grow to a point where it, it tips over and it, and it sort of loses mm. its, you know, it, its original intent. Yeah. And uh, so 
I would say, you know, from my perspective, being in the middle of it, the early Jesus movement, we had so many, you know, different factions of, you know, East Coast people, West Coast people, people Mm -hmm. down in the South, Mm -hmm. trying to connect and trying to, you know, literally trying to help each other out just to have have the gospel spread yeah and all of that was wonderful yes and when uh you know labels like uh you know later we were with light records and we were Mm -hmm. involved with word records and all of that yeah and before they all got gobbled up by an abc or an ami yeah um you know there there grew up an industry that i just think uh it's it then becomes, you know, multi-millions of dollars involved, and yeah. it, it becomes big enough that you've got to ask ask those really hard questions that I don't have the answer to. Yeah. I do remember the early days. I liked it. We had what we called Maranatha Nights up here, and it would be one of the churches, uh, bigger churches in Vancouver. <clears throat> I'm sure Sweet Comfort Band was one of the bands that that, that at one time. And we, they brought everybody out once a month. They had somebody, but the connection was with Calvary Chapel, and that was basically the booking agent, if you want to say it. And uh, they would come up regularly, and uh, it was it was good. Um, somewhere along the way up here, anyway, it fizzled out, and there was no, there's no, we don't really have a music scene as such. Um, not enough uh, touring. It's very rare to get somebody. Probably the last one we had up here was Toby Mac. You know, and uh, that's very rare. You've got your Switchfoot. You've got bands like that that are in secular as well, and they're touring because they've got their their booking agent. But I do miss the old days, only because it was it was nice to see a, a great band in a smaller venue because churches weren't that big, not then anyway. And um, yeah, it was it was cool. Yeah, we just have to be. <clears throat> I think we should be, you and I, you know, ought to be grateful that there was an era where it was, uh, it it was more of a small industry. Yeah. But it, uh, but we had a good connection with our vision, which was, you know, to preach the gospel. Amen. Exactly. And, you know, my guess is that, you know, it probably became, you know, big enough that, that, uh, I just don't know, you know, when someone, if there are those who came along after I was out, you know, in the uh, in the 90s, you know, where they could have a hit record and they could be playing stadiums, hmm. uh, you know, I kind of feel sorry for those artists yeah. that they didn't, if, if you don't, you know, sort of pay your dues, yeah. then I'm not... I'm not sure you appreciate what it is to play a stadium if you yeah. just if you're suddenly launched into a big machinery. Exactly. Yeah. 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 The other thing I miss was bands and artists that it was just as important to meet people after for prayer as it was to sell them a T-shirt. You know, there was the table merchandise table, of course, but off the side it was just as big a deal for the artist to be talking and ministering and and uh, to someone who needed help or praying in the corner. You know, that was a very special time. Yeah, and we argued over all those things. You know, there was uh, our our stated, you know, ministry was always evangelism. Yes. And that, that kind of plays into how we 
when we started the band Allies, yeah, the uh, the first question that Bob Carlyle, you know, asked me is he said, okay, if if we start a band, and it was started with Sam Scott and Bob and myself, but Bob said if we start a band, you know, he had been exposed to it, it, ministry meant you you couldn't feed your family, you couldn't. Uh, you know, have enough money to uh, to support yourself. So you have to go do something to support yourself. Yes. Uh, as a musician, in order to be to do something as a Christian musician. So his right. first question was, you know, are we going to be a ministry, hmm. or are we going to try to make a living at this? Yes. Or both. And my answer was, <laughs> my answer was yes. Yeah, of course. What would you do differently, if anything? What would I do differently? If anything. I probably wouldn't do much differently. The um, It is so easy to look back at some lame lyrics and say, you should rewrite that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are some things that... Uh, just like that Beatles lyric we mentioned earlier, there's some things that just they need to just go out there and remain embarrassing, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there are, um, you know, so it's you just kind of have to say, you know, we did what we did, and, and you have to let it stand. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I'm glad to say I have no major regrets. We That's never. Great. Yeah. I was never involved with with things that you know started getting out of control and becoming sinful in such a way that it needed to just to it it just needed to not happen yeah and uh you know i have some friends in in one of the christian bands you know that were very honest with me and said that they the band just just you know got to a point where uh, uh well for instance oz fox Right. Uh, with with Striper. Yes. You know, um, yeah. I've never forgotten that. Uh, I, I just love his honesty, you know, where he yes. said, he said, uh, he said, yeah, Randy he said that our band got to a point where we did a we did a record called Against the Law. And mm-hmm. he said it should have been called Against the Lord. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Oz said that. And, I, and, yeah. and they have they have reconciled and they've, of they've course. come back from that. But yeah, have they ever? Um, I'm glad that, uh, yeah, they've made a great comeback, but I'm, I'm glad that we never, uh, there's nothing that I could, I can think of with Sweet Comfort Band where I think, boy, you know, I wish, wish we could take that back. I wish we hadn't said that. I wish we hadn't done it. Yeah. Uh, you know, where I think, uh, uh, now we were, you know, we were sinners, uh, surrounded by God's grace and we you know we committed all the usual sins of mm-hmm. of pride and and uh and idiocy and all the things that we did yeah but uh but you know now that you say that I'm really glad that we never went off the deep end we you know we, <laughs> yeah I I don't hopefully you know we just never blew up anybody's faith and no and, uh, <laughs> no and <laughs> didn't cause anybody to go astray yeah, we didn't destroy yeah. the legacy, no. and, and you know we didn't tarnish the franchise. No, 